Kia ora koutou, hello everybody and welcome to Epic Aotearoa Create a Better Future podcast where every week we share uplifting messages told by New Zealanders in their own words. Our mission is to share the learnings from those lived experiences, inspire our listeners to take positive action and go out there and create a better future. Proudly brought to you by co-founders Joe Hortai, former soldier in the Special Air Service, family man and aspiring entrepreneur, and Brian Osman, a knowledge engineer, family man, entrepreneur and all-round good dude. Thank you for connecting with us today. Now let's get started and create a better future. Let's go. Ladies and gentlemen, Aotearoa, welcome to another episode of Epic Aotearoa, Create a Better Future podcast with your host, Brian Osman. And I am pleased and privileged to be talking today and having a, a really wonderful conversation, I suspect, with Tim Tepene. So, Tim, welcome, kia ora. It's great to have you. And just before we turn the time over to Tim to share some interesting insights to his story, just want to let you know that Tim is a speaker. He's based in Auckland. He's an author of many books such as White Mukul, uh, Mrs. Battleship and Taming the Tanifa, among others. He's a family man, an inspirational speaker, and some of you may have seen uh, his interviews on TV through, and you'll see them on YouTube, particularly the project I think was the most recent interview. He's someone who loves kids, a martial artist and founder of the Warrior Kids program, which I think has been going now for 25 years or so, but I'm sure Tim will let us know. And he's somebody who definitely keeps it real. Today, we're going to talk about these six topics, breaking the cycle, Shattering projections, making a difference. And I'm excited about that because I really want to know what Tim thought about making a difference actually means. Living with the, th- the effects of childhood trauma, the benefits of therapy, and lastly, keep moving forward. But I'm sure we will cover a lot more. Ladies and gentlemen, Aotearoa, I am privileged to bring you to you today. A voice from the wilderness, an offer of hope, and somewhat a bit of a funny guy. Because I saw your videos, Tim. Mr. Tim Tepene. Kia ora, Tim. Welcome ah, to the kia show. Kia ora. Kia ora. Thank you. And Tim, before we start, maybe it's worth, um, before we even look at breaking the cycle, and I'm sure we will segue into that, maybe a bit of an introduction about yourself and uh, maybe a, a start of the your journey so far, and then maybe we can just morph into breaking the cycle and see how that goes. Kia ora, Brian. Yeah. Um, well, I grew up here in West Auckland. My beginning was pretty tough, so my, mm. I guess the best way is just to jump in right in, Brian. So, uh, yeah, my mother was raped, and I'm the outcome of that rape. Um, I love my mum very much. Sadly, because of that uh, rape, though, her and I were never close. Mm. And uh, she ended up marrying into the Waitai Tipini whanau when I was an infant, and so I was taken in to the, into the whanau. And it wasn't enough for my grandparents. They weren't, you know, the, the marriage was one thing, but that wasn't enough. So they wanted mm. uh, a legal uh, adoption. So we went that way. So um, my birth certificate and everything was changed to Tipene. And that's how I was brought up. I loved the whanau. They were a really big support for me. However, I, I didn't get, you know, in the early days, I got to see them a lot. As time mm. went on, I, I didn't get to see them much because my mum and dad pulled away and closed the door and 
And in them doing that, they were left to their own hurt and pain, and which left us kids exposed to it. My mum and dad had both been really hurt. When I say my dad, I'm talking about my stepfather there, of course. Mm. Both of them had been uh, really hurt as children. So that manifested into a home life of violence and abuse for me and my siblings. Um, I sort of became the one that mum and dad really projected a lot of their stuff onto. So I never had a close relationship with my with my immediate family. And uh, I found school difficult as a result of that. You know, right from the start at school, I was suffering. I, I didn't do well. I ended up in special classes for, for everything, reading, maths, um, spelling, all of it. And I even mm-hmm. had to go to the staff room uh, a lot. And there I had to see a lady who's a speech therapist, and she helped me to speak properly because I wasn't speaking properly and one of the things in particular was TH words so words such as this, then, there, that you can see mm. I, I remember it because eh? she would make me <laughs> sit in front of her and she'd go, Timothy, watch my tongue watch my tongue and she'd put it you know, in the right position and this, then, there, that and I would have to copy it over and over again <laughs> until I could pronounce those TH words correctly mm. So, yes, I knew I was different from a lot of the other kids at school. I could see that I was behind a lot of them. Um, and so that was my beginnings. And my be- yeah, and there's, there's a lot in that, of course, as you could imagine. And, yeah. Wow. Kia ora, Tim. That, that is actually quite powerful and it's raw. I suspect that some people that will be listening to this interview are going to quickly connect with that. And it's... I'm grateful that you shared that because I think that breaks us into the first topic. And it's nice. It's a nice movement into there. And but before we do that, it's interesting to me that as you you, you talked about your speech therapist teacher and, and how she made you you talk the this that yeah I, I can imagine that it's, it's funny as, as you hear that and you can hear it all around all around the country. You can hear around Aotearoa when we hear the th, and it tends to go. Yeah, and, and yeah, but I remember um, as a young as a young fellow um, in the staff room, and the staff room is usually where the teachers kept all the biscuits for morning tea. So you go, hmm, how do I get into there? Because <laughs> <laughs> so, I found a way. <laughs> you found a way. <laughs> I was like, hmm, how do we get to there? That's awesome. But this is thought is resonating. Because the yeah. good kids, the good kids yeah. got to do the dishes. Ah. Hey, you know, you yeah, know, yeah, it yeah. happens in a lot of schools. Uh, after yeah. morning tea, the, the, the kids have been doing behaving well, get to go in and do the dishes and finish off, finish off the biscuits. <laughs> I found it, that it? out because I was in there. She was in there. <laughs> I was going, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> How did you swing that gig? And I'm <laughs> but this actually um, is, is giving me a thought. Um, it's like you, you talked about the your genesis. You've talked about you know, your, your family. And, and that there's sadness in there, but there's also it resonates the love that you have for that. So it really just strikes me as... How did you break the cycle? So this is a nice lean into that. Breaking the cycle, what was it that helped you, encouraged you, forced you, allowed you to break 
the cycle that you were going through? It's a big story in the sense mm. that it's, it's so complex and it's, it's, so, it's so layered, you know. It goes right mm. back through my childhood to instances where people showed me a contradiction. So when I was eight, my mm. sister started school. Now, my sister's brown. You know, mm. she was, she's dad and mum's daughter. And so when she started school, kids were coming up to me and saying, why is your sister a different colour to you? Mm. Now, for me, I, because I had been brought up with both cultures, I, I had sort of forgotten anything from before. And I, that I was just used to um, being, being in a mixed surrounding. So I didn't even, you know, when they came up and started asking me to begin with, I was like, is she? You know, they, they, they might fuss over it, but she's just my sister. Mm. They're talking to me like that, and it was like, what? Is she? And so I went home, and I said to my mum, and said, oh, kids are talking at school. Why is, why is, why is you know, my sister a different colour to me? So my mum that night, she said, oh, look, I'll talk to you about it later. So she came into my room that night and sat on my bed, and, and uh, she said to me that um, she explained it. Look, you two have different fathers. Uh, your your dad is not really your dad. So I was like, hey. And she said, yeah, you know, your biological father, your father, um, was this other man. And she started to talk about him. And as she's talked about him, it got worse and worse. And she started mm-hmm. talking about how he was a monster and how he had hurt women and children and uh, how he had ended up in prison for doing so and how he had hurt her. And then my mum, in that moment turned to me and said, and you're going to be exactly like him. You're going to grow up. You're going to become a monster. You're going to hurt women and children. And she put that on me. You know, and, and now, of course, as an adult, looking back, I can see that was her hurt. That was her mm. mama. That was her, her suffering. And, uh, and she was projecting it onto me. And so I was, when she said it to me, you know, I'm a boy who wants to please my mum. I, I wanted my mum to love me. So mm. I was there like, no, nah, no, nah, mum, I would never do that. That's not me. I would never do that. And she just turned around and says, well, it's just who you are, and walked out. Mm. I was petrified. She turned off the light. I'm there in the darkness. I'm looking up the roof, and I'm just absolutely petrified of, you know, this 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 daunting future that I was supposed to head into and it's like, well, surely it doesn't have to be that way. And so I set out to prove her wrong. So in some ways, that was parts of the seeds for breaking the cycle. So throughout my life, my mum and my dad kept projecting onto me that I was going to become this this monster, this, this bad thing, that there was nothing good that was going to come from me. And even at school, I got that a lot from the teachers. Mm. You know, us kids... They referred to us as the Tippany kids, you know, not Tippany, the Tippany kids. And we were always supposed to be the ones that were, oh, it's those Tippany kids again, always up to mischief or doing something like that. But it was already a projection that they had put on us before we'd stepped mm. into school. You know, it's just what they did. And, uh, and so a lot of teachers, just right from the start, 
wouldn't give me a chance. Some mm. did, and they were absolutely wonderful. And it's those sorts of teachers that showed me this belief and just this positive, positive regard. And that contradicted the messages that I was getting at home. So that's where the breaking of the cycle really started for me. It was there was a contradiction. So I started thinking to myself, well, maybe I'm not that bad. Maybe mm. I'm not as bad as what these people are saying. Maybe, maybe there's more to me. Mm. And then so as time went on, things at home got rougher, scarier. I started losing friends. You know, I, I had friends around me that had uh, friends and cousins who had the same background as me, and they weren't making it. They they were uh, they were checking out early, you know, and uh, some some was straight out suicide. Others were uh, accidents that maybe weren't always accidents, and um, yeah, it's just yeah. And I lost quite a few, but I could see that I was on the same path, and that I was I was going down a road that uh, wasn't going to serve me. And and all the way through, I I had to make a choice. Mm. One instance, I was you know we were living up at the time we were living up in Copacopa, uh, so up in near Helensville, and uh, I had to take a package to an uncle of mine in West Auckland. Now the package was weed and I was going to take it to him and he was going to sell it. And so I had this, it all wrapped up in this towel. And so here I am, I'm, I'm hitchhiking into West Auckland and a guy turns up and uh, he picks me up. So we're just, I'm just, just driving down the road with him. The guy was lovely, he was awesome, he was really nice to me. We're just driving off down the road and here's me, I'm, I'm sitting in the front passenger seat and I'm looking out the window and, and I'm thinking about things and I'm thinking, do I really want to go down this road? You know, the police had already been talking to me about things, trying to pin things on me. And um, I was at a crossroad. People had offered me money to hurt other people. You know, they knew of my martial arts background. So offering me money to hurt people. And I was thinking to myself, you know, I'm a, I've got to make a choice here. Mm. So I'm in the car, we're driving down. And I look at the guy and I said to him, do you smoke? And he goes, oh, yeah. And I said, no, 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 you know, do you smoke? And he goes, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do, I do, he says. And I said, well, I, I've got this. And I just put the towel between us. You know, it's the old car with the bench seat right across. Uh, yes. <laughs> I put the towel between us and I just opened it up. And, I, and his eyes went very large. <laughs> and I said, uh, do you want it? And uh, he said, hey. And I said, um, yeah, yeah, you know, do you want it? I, I, I don't want, you know, I'm, I, I can't do this. I don't want to take it. I, you know, and I felt bad about giving it to him. I felt bad because I was mm. sort of, I felt like I was unloading my trouble onto him. Mm. And he was like, no, 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 all good, all good, I'll take it. Because <laughs> I said to him, I'll, I'll just throw it away otherwise. And, and he said, no, no, all good. And he said, uh, I'll take you wherever you want to go. Start <laughs> <laughs> so, um, of Uber. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I felt bad. And I said that mm. to him. And he said, no, no, all good, man. 
And, I said, and he said to me, why are you doing this? I said, oh, I don't want to go this road. Mm. And he, he just said, oh, good on you, man, good on you. And he, and he dropped me off. And when I got out of the car, I just felt the weight had come off me. And, of course, my, my uncle, he just assumed that I'd stuffed up as always. So he didn't say much. And, uh, which was, you know, which I was glad that I wasn't going to get a hiding or anything. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so he just thought I, I hadn't followed through, you know, that I'd um, made out that I could get a package and that in the reality was that I couldn't. But anyway, so that was, that was part of it. And then, but as my life started going on, you know, I tried to go the way of like just your normal jobs and all that, but it was mm. never working out. I was never okay. You know, I ended up on the building site and ended up painting, ended up doing cleaning jobs, farm hand, but I, inside I was just never okay. I was never settled. I was highly anxious. Uh, I was hypervigilant. You know, I had this post-traumatic stress disorder stuff was firing up all the time. And I'm extremely suicidal. And uh, there was a voice in me screaming that needed I needed to listen to. Mm. And I ended up in a position where I became a support person for adults with special needs, part of the role, the condition of having the role was that I had to do training and the training was personal development. So I started that training and it was basic counseling and all that. And that just brought it all out. And, wow. and one of the tutors said, look, Tim, you, you need some support. You need, you need help. And so she referred me to a place called Henderson House, which was in Henderson of all places. And uh, the condition was with Henderson House, they had a year-long waiting list, list unless I was deemed a risk to myself or other people. So they phoned me up, and we had a chat over the phone, and they had me in there the next week. And I was put into psychotherapy intensively for eight months. And even when that finished, I still continued and kept going. And that was, yeah, breaking the cycles. And took my, and in that process, I discovered how much anger I had. And big, a big part with my anger was turning away from, like I said, the drugs and also the alcohol. Because mm. it was a couple of times <clears throat> when I was young and I just felt a total lack of control and that really frightened me the last thing I wanted to do was end up hurting people like my parents had and I never want to you know never wanted my children or my partner to be scared of me and at that time I didn't have a partner or children but you know I hoped for the future mm. and and I didn't want to destroy my life so I took myself off to uh, anger management and yeah, that first night was very interesting. It was a, it was in the hall out here in West Auckland, and all these men sitting there in a half circle, and I sit on the end, and I'm looking at all these men. And I'm thinking, oh, this is, oh, this is awesome. You know, all these guys have come forward and all wanting to sort out their anger, and then these two facilitators come up the front and, and sit up the front, and one of them's got a clipboard, and they start talking to the men on the opposite end of the 
half circle to me, and, and like there was like thirty men in there. Mm. And uh, he starts talking to the first man. He says, "Right, uh, you know, checked his name off the checklist and said, now what brought you here?'" And the guy started saying, "Oh, the family court sent me." So I thought to myself, "Oh, okay, that guy's been sent." So then they go to the next person. Okay, what's your name? Um, and what brought you here? Oh, community corrections. And as it went around, I discovered that everybody had been sent. There's <laughs> mm. me sitting on the end, and I'm thinking, no, am I the only one who's volunteered to be here? <laughs> oh, I'm not going to look very cool. <laughs> and all the way around, they've all been sent. Their all names are all on the list. And then they eventually come to me. And they says, your name? And I said, oh, yep, Tim Tipanan. So they had a look. You're not on the list. How did you get to be here? I said, oh, I just rang up and, and I asked, I said I wanted to do a course. And the person on the phone said to turn up at this time. So, you know, here I am. I just want to do the course. And uh, the person with the clipboard said, yeah, but who sent you? And I said, I looked around, all these men looking at me. <laughs> looked around and looked down a bit. Oh, uh, nobody. I, I just, just came came by myself. And the guys around, like, were next to me were, what? Go home, bro. You don't need to be here. <laughs> Go home. What's the rugby? But for me, you know, for me, it was like, I'd rather be here of my own accord than mm. have someone else send me. I'm not going to let my life get that bad that those in authority are going to send me. No way. I'm not going to give them any power. I'm going to mm. come with my own accord. And because of that, the at the end, the facilitator said, oh, why don't you come on board as a trainee? So that's what I wow. did. I thought to myself, well, what better way to learn how to deal with my anger than to, uh, to become a trainee or a facilitator of mm. management? You know, I thought, well, that'll sort it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's... the Breaking the Cycle has been yeah. an ongoing journey, but I yeah. can certainly say that in my home, my kids have never been through anything that I have was ever went through. They do Beautiful. not know that life. My mm. kids not even smacked. You know, never smacked them. Like, you know, I, I went way the other way. Mm. And, but even in saying that, I've got really good kids who are doing really well and high achievers at school. And uh, so and our home is safe and loving. And, um, yeah. What more can you ask? That yeah. is raw. Thank you, Tim, for sharing that and there's just so many things to you could really unpack and, and, and to be honest i don't think we've got i don't think a whole day is is going to be enough time to to really dive deep into some of those things but i really loved how you said yeah this was my own doing this is me wanting to break that cycle this is me wanting to make those decisions it's not it's not foisted upon me by the authorities it's me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm going to make the decision. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't so, trust it. I didn't trust the authority at all. You know, when I, mm. there was times where the police, the, the police in my community knew what was happening in my home and they wouldn't mm. address it. They wouldn't deal with it. And I started acting out as a young man, you know, as I was mm. talking about before and the police were after me. And, and I remember one conversation, the, a sergeant had me come down to the station, so I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm talk he's talking to me. And he starts saying to me, look, Tim, these things have happened and we know it's you. And he was saying, we know it's you and we want to help you. So you confess to those things and then we will help you. 
And I just looked at him. I thought, you're stitching me up. It was, <laughs> yeah. like, it was like the voice of God. I'm telling you, mm -hmm. there was a, just a voice in my head. Don't you say a thing, boy. This, you're being set up here. They're just wanting to set you up for these things and you're going to end up in prison. And um, and I thought, well, if I ended up in prison, that's going to be the, the, the worst thing for me. Mm. And there was going to be no chance of me being able to turn my life around. But what also happened in that conversation was nobody's going to help me. It's really clear. No one's going to help me. I'm going to have to do it myself. I'm just going to have to find the right places to go to that will support and assist. I'm going to have to do it myself. Nobody's going to, nobody's going to pick me up here. And I knew that from that conversation. Hence, I ended up with the anger management and the therapy mm. and all that stuff. That's beautiful. That's beautiful in the sense that you... you you saw that you recognize it sounds to me tim that you're very self-aware of of yourself at that time even though amongst the turmoil that was happening there seems to be a high degree of self-awareness about how you're feeling and what was happening there this um i think this might be a nice place to think about or or, or move into the the next topic which is shattering projections because you you you've touched on it so I can see we're breaking the cycle, but these projections that we talked about, and you touched on with your teachers and seeing that, that disconnect between school and home, but I'm really interested to see, or to hear, what, what does that mean, sharing projections? Yeah, the sense that I, I mentioned it a bit before too with my mum and how she mm. put me these projections that I was going to end up like my biological father, you know, a convicted rapist and, and pedophile. And then I was going to end up in prison. And boy, that was heavy. That was yeah. so heavy. And my mum didn't stop there. Over the years, she continued with that message. Mm. And she treated me as though I was the rape. You know, not as a child, but I was the rape. Now, I love my mum. I love her dearly. To this day, she cannot be close to me. She can. I met her once for a coffee a few years back. And she was sitting outside in the car, I could just see her, and she was building up her strength just to come in, to sit with me, her son, to have a coffee. She mm. came in and sat down. She was so nervous, and she spent the first moment just staring at me. And she was looking, because I, from her own words, I look like him. I look like the man who hurt her. And she was trying to look for something else that she could connect to, and she said, that in the end, I looked a bit like her mum. And, and I knew straight away that it was her, you know, she was looking for something that she could hold to because it was just too distorting for her. Very sad. My mum's not, uh, was an didn't find the, the, the avenue to do the work for herself, you know. Mm. These, <laughs> it's all new stuff really now, isn't it? A lot, of the, a lot of the work that's being done. I mean, it's been done for a couple of decades, but now... The work that's being done with trauma is so much more. But for the older ones, um, yeah, that's, 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 it's a heck of a journey. It's, it's a real challenge. Yeah. And so, yeah, my mum was laying on these projections, and same with my dad. My, my dad really put it on me. With my dad, when I say my dad, that's my stepdad. He was like I was the part of himself that he could not accept that he could not be with, you know. It was the part that was, uh, I guess, sensitive, and he made me that part that he couldn't accept in himself, the part that was that hurt boy. 
and because he had been terribly hurt, you know, and abused, and they, he put he projected that onto me, and he really passed over a big shadow. So, you know, he was thrashing me in the evenings, and all sorts of things were going on, and he really um, was like he really passed a shadow onto me. That's what it was like for me, and it was huge, and it had been passed down to him. But the thing was, every t- every generation it was going down to was actually growing because it was being added to. So what he gave me, I don't know how old that was. I don't know how many generations, but he gave it all to me. And so when I had it, it felt much bigger than him. It was mm-hmm. just, it became such a huge thing. And it scared him. And I know it scared him. It was one time he he was angry at me. I hadn't even done anything. My, my, my sister had taken off in the car and done a runner and she was 14 years old. And uh, and I just ended up being at home at that time because I was constantly pursuing the love of my parents and trying to be part of this family that they were not letting me be a part of. And my sister had taken off in the car so my dad was angry so he smashed everything that I had which wasn't much and then he tried to have a go at me that night he went to bed and I went upstairs and I was going to kill him I'd had enough, I was going to kill him I got a knife and uh, you know being a martial artist I had a, an array of martial arts weapons <laughs> yeah. and, and I had a knife this hunting knife and I stayed up that night and I was waiting for him to go to sleep and I was going to go down and finish him off and he knew because he didn't go to bed he kept his light on and it was a very long night (laughs) and in that time you know and I kept looking outside because I was looking for his light glow on the lawn because we were up north and no lights around you know and I kept waiting and he kept staying up and I thought oh he knows and but as I was sitting there I started thinking about I, I didn't want to be the same. I didn't want to be like him. I, I wanted to change things. I, I, I didn't want to ruin my life. I, mm. I knew that if I did that, it was going to be over, and I really wanted to have a good life. So the longer the evening went on, this is where my thoughts started to go. And I knew they were expecting me to stuff up. The idea was that I was going to, in their minds, I was going to end up in prison. I was a bad boy. And... Uh, and there was some heroism in that too, eh? There's always some heroism. Like, there's people that, oh, yeah, Tim's the bad one. Or, you know, oh, yeah, Tim, dare him to do anything, he'll do it. You know, oh, that Tim, oh, he's always up to something. So there mm. was always that part of it as well that put on, was put on there. So, of course, that night I didn't hurt my dad. And, I, and I'm very thankful that I didn't, that I was able to uh, stop myself. And the next time, and, and a few years later, when he did try and have a go to me with me, I was able to respond very differently because I had done a lot of work on myself and changed it. And I was just able to just look him straight in the eye and just tell him, no, it's not going to happen. You know, I can, I can protect myself without hurting you. Dad, it's changed. You know, I'm going to protect myself. Make sure you don't hurt me. And at the same time, I can make sure I don't hurt you. So it's over, it's done, there's no more. You know, I'm not that little boy anymore. And that actually made him more angry <laughs> because 
he's you know he said oh you just think you're better than us you know it was like because i was and i'm thinking to myself hang on i'm trying to do the right thing here <laughs> what are you talking about i don't want to hurt you and he's like oh you just think you're better you know and that made him even more angry so it's like oh man can't relax. win relax <laughs> that's that's where it all came to in the end that's mm. you know apparently i've done all this work to fix my life to be in a safe place um but because also from their mind that i think i'm better which is mm. not the case at all you know, mm. i love dad absolutely love him love him to bits and i feel for him because he could have had so much more mm. in his life just in terms of love just so much more but he you know he was never able to to be with that that part and it's very sad as he's gotten older it's come out a bit in different ways in some ways he's he's even more aggressive now but he's frail you know and he's, he's older and um, yeah i just love him yeah so there was projections all around that i had to work piece by piece and shatter and as i said though the contradiction came from other people you know, there was there was one house we went to. I, I realise I'm talking a lot here, Brian. No, you're fine, Tim. Stop me fine. if I'm going on. But there was one house we went to. You know, we went down to Rotorua for a, a family trip, and down there, the, we we went to the same church. Like my mum had, we took, taken us back to this church that she had been involved with when she was was a little girl, mm. and my mum had pulled away from that church. But then cancer came and knocked on her door, and uh, my mum was scared, and she thought she was going to go, and she was thinking she was going to go downstairs. So off the church we go. <laughs> off the church. <laughs> off the church we go, and uh, and of course she was hoping that God would save her life. So there were lots of prayers and all that, and and bless my mum. And so off we went. So we go down to Rotorua for this family trip, and we get invited around to these people's place for lunch. So we go around there. Oh man, this this I had this night. There was a lovely family, but this woman, I don't know what it was, but straight away she zoned in on me, and she was just so nice to me. And you know there was um this little Tommy train set. This, mm. this, they had a little kid in the house, and there was this Tommy train set. So I, you know, the adults are talking, so I got bored, so I just walked over to the corner of the room and started playing with this Tommy train set. And my mum goes, oh, you know, I was 10 at the time. She goes, oh, you're too old to play with that. And the lady of the house, she disappeared. And then she came back, and with her, she bought this huge big basket of all this Tommy train set. And she tipped it out in front of me. And she said to me, Tim, I want to see you cover the floor with train track. And it was like, oh, man. <laughs> well, I've got a job now. <laughs> so you started off something. I went, off I went, and I yeah. made this huge big train set, you know, and I was like, man, this is so cool. And, you know, because no, no internet in those days. You just keep yourself mm. entertained. And then uh, it was lunchtime, so we all sat around the table, and this woman had made this, uh, this coffee ice cream, homemade coffee ice cream. I'd never tasted anything like it. Oh, man, I just fell in love. It was, oh, man, this is so good. <laughs> and, of course, I get a pinch under the table because I'm eating too much. So it's like, oh, okay. That's mum, you know. Mum's like, mm. okay, stop eating. And, um, you know, I was never allowed to sit next to my mum at home 
But whenever we went out, oh, I always had to sit next to you. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, could, could put the pinch in. Oh, you'd be quiet, you. You know? Anyway, and, and this lady could see how much I liked the coffee ice cream. She said, oh, would you like some more, Tim? I said, oh. And my mum grabs, pinched my leg. Oh, no, no, it's, it's all right. And the lady seemed to pick up. Mm. She disappeared into the kitchen, came back with a bowl. She said, look, Tim, there's only a little bit left. Could you finish it up for me? And so she passes me this bowl with this coffee ice cream. I look in there, and it's like half full. It's, <laughs> it's not a little bit. <laughs> I look at my mum and say, well, I've got a job to do now. <laughs> seemed to be in complete opposition to my mum. This woman mm. seemed to be having a battle with my mum over me. Mm. And it was amazing. But what that woman did, she was just so kind and genuine that, again, it was a contradiction. It was a contradiction to what how my parents were seeing me. As far as they, my parents were concerned, I was rotten. I was bad. You know, I'm, I won't swear, but... Every word they would describe me with was, you know, was swear words. And I was, I was dirty, I was filthy, I was disgusting. And these are the words that they put on me. And yet here's this woman who's just being so kind to me, so caring. And I thought, well, I can't be that bad. If people are being nice to me, like some of my teachers and these people that don't even know me, they, they obviously see something else in me. And that was a contradiction against the projections that others were putting on. And and it just shows, hey, it doesn't matter, because I only saw that lady for a couple of hours. I've mm. never, ever seen her again in my life. And yet I can remember that as clear as day, and I've never forgotten it. And it's propelled me to keep moving forward because mm. it contradicted everything else about me. It showed me a light, hey, I'm not that bad. There's something good about me here because this woman's seen it and she's being so nice to me. If I was really bad, she obviously wouldn't be, you know. Yeah. 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 Wow. I'm keeping moving forward and, and, and hearing that story. It, isn't it interesting? Sometimes, regardless of, of whatever faith that we may have, um, sometimes angels, whether they're seen or unseen, they exist around us in ways which... We may not realize until later on, but having that, that influence, even for a couple of hours, that, that's immensely powerful to connect with somebody and you have that, that image that you, you, you've just told me the story, you've told us the story, and that, that's so clear and vivid the way you described it. Yet, obviously, that resonated for you from that experience to all the way to now. And, and all these experiences are building up. It's just incredible. Um, and it, this, it shows us, too, that we can be angels <clears throat> for others. Uh, yes. That's what it showed me. Yes. Like, far out. I, you know, if, we, if, if I grow up and, and do this for other people, mm. that can make a huge impact for them. Yeah. Wow. And Tim, I'm glad you said that you we can do this for others because I think that's a nice, uh, an, a nice move into this next topic we want to talk about is making a difference. So it's from your perspective, and, and you've gone through, and we talked about chattering projections and breaking the cycle that was around you and, and your thought processes which evolved over time through talking with other people and, and experiences and so forth and you made those decisions but the decision to make a difference was this like one time all right, I'm going to make a difference this is a culmination of different experiences but leading up to making a difference but why did you want to make a difference for others what drove you to do that well, 
you know, <laughs> really, mm. I, of course, I didn't see it at the time. I was trying to rescue myself. Yeah. I was actually trying to help myself. And it was that little boy that I kept knowing that had been at home when I, you know, that boy that I was when I was young. There was no hope. There was no help. Being thrashed, being hurt all the time, being treated as something evil. And I wanted to be rescued. I always dreamed of being rescued. I always dreamed of someone coming along and helping. I always dreamed that someone, I, I dreamed that the way I dreamed of it is that I would be kidnapped and be just mm. taken. That was my hope, that I would just be taken. Mm. You know, I remember there was one time that uh, we were up at um, up at Lee and uh, Matheson's Bay out there on the water, and I was playing in playing in the water, and I got ran over by a catamaran. So I was just a kid, and the catamaran just went straight over the top of me, took me under. Wow! And a lot of people had seen it, and so these people came down and picked me up and carried me up on the beach and laid me out on the grass. And I am surrounded by people, you know, all these adults. Mm. And there's a woman that she's um, on her knees and she's making sure I'm all right. And people are talking, let's bring an ambulance and all, all this sort of stuff. Is he broken a leg, broken an arm? And I'm laying there. And I, and I look over and uh, I can see my parents. <laughs> They're sitting there with my uncle. But uh, what is it? It would have been 50 meters away. They're just sitting there watching all this. They're not moving. They're just <laughs> what? And, and I'm thinking to myself, and I look at the lady and think, yeah, yeah, I'm sore. I'm sore. Take me now. Let's go. Let's just go. Let's just get out of here. Let's just go to the hospital. And I turn back and I see my dad stand up and I thought, oh, here we go. And my dad, he's, uh, I could see by the way he's standing, you know, and he's just taking him his time to walk over. And I can see, man, he is angry. He is not happy at all. And my mum stays seated there. And she's refusing to look now. She's just looking out to sea. <laughs> and so my dad's approaching. And I'm looking at the ladies, you know, kneeling over me. It's like, yeah, yeah, I'm really sore. Yeah, oh, yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, real sore. Can we just go? Come on, let's put me in your car. And we'll just go to the hospital. Let's just get out of here now. I thought I'd found a way out, you know. Mm. And my dad came over. And he just walked through the crowd. He picked, grabbed me by my hair. And wrenched me up from the ground, threw me over his shoulder, and just walked off. Now people, you know, they all gasped and and, and so you know somebody, you know, people tried to say something, but no way was Dad going to listen. You know, he was in staunch mode, and he he took me, carried me back down the beach to my mum, where he just um, threw me down on the ground behind my mum. Then Dad went and sat next to her, and they just sat there looking out to sea while I'm on the ground behind them. And my mum just looked over her shoulder and said, you're all right. And so that's the kid I remember, the kid that wanted mm. to be rescued. And so I set out to make a difference. So when I, I did that work, working with adults with special needs... I really found a purpose there. And it's interesting because when I got the job, I thought I was going to make a difference in their lives. And I thought I was going to change them, their lives. Those adults quickly showed me, no, no, there's nothing wrong with us. You're the one with the problem. <laughs> <laughs> it's you, Tim. It's you. What are you talking about? It's not us. <laughs> it was so humbling. It was so humbling. Oh, 
there's one in particular, his name's Roger. Roger Harris, a oh, beautiful little man, Down syndrome man. When I first went up for the interview, he comes running out. And he had no teeth. His teeth had been removed while he was um, institutionalized. And they'd taken the teeth out so he wouldn't bite the staff. So he came running out and he jumped up, put his, wrapped his legs around me, wrapped his arms around me and gave me this big, wet, toothless kiss. Mm. And um, then, I, you know, and I went in for the interview and I thought, oh, this is a friendly place. And <laughs> oh, okay. Anyway, they gave me a two-week trial. Mm. And at the end of the two-week trial, you know, I was I, this place was awesome because I got to live there and and look after the people. So it was like everything was covered because I had nowhere to live. I was like, oh, this is awesome, and I get training. What an opportunity! So at the end of the two weeks, I hopped on my knees and I thought, you know, these people, who am I? I'm a loser. That was by the way I was thinking at the time. If these people really find out who I am, they're not going to give me a chance. They don't want to hire me. So I went over to the coordinator and I dropped to my knees and I begged right then in front of everybody. It was They were having a party and so I just did it in front of everybody and I begged for the job. And the lady said to me, Tim, you don't have to beg for the job. You got the job. You got the job when Roger ran up, jumped up and hugged you and kissed you and you didn't <laughs> run away. <laughs> You've got the job, no problems at all. <laughs> and um, and so that was a wonderful opportunity. And But as I say, you know, I mm. really thought I was going to change their lives. And they quickly showed me that, no, Tim, you're the one with the problem, mate. <laughs> and, um, and in that, I, be, I started martial arts at the age of 12. Mm. And I was very fortunate to be able to start it. Most of my instructors, of course, were uh, just people who did martial arts who took um you know tried to help and support me and they were lovely my sister i managed to talk her into wanting to do martial arts so that's how i got to go to an official club because my sister wanted to do it so that worked out well and uh yeah and and i became an instructor because martial arts became one thing that i was good at Mm. and and it really helped looking back now it really helped with the trauma because it was a physical outlet and it started to allow me to take full independence of my body and control so i was really establishing self-control and i felt good it felt awesome my body was finally my own and and i was really starting to feel that and i became an instructor for martial arts now through my therapy and personal development training and so on, and anger management, I started to change my classes because the children came and they began, they started to present issues. I had one family and they were, there was a son and daughter coming to the class. They had had a scary evening where dad was upset and was walking around, the, had been walking around the house with a gun. Wow. And the mum and the kids had to hide. So these kids came to my class, having just come from that, and they were traumatised. And it was like, well, I was there, and I was like, well, we can't just do the normal routine. We're, we're going to have to do something else. And so well, let's just make a circle, sit down, and uh, be together and, and talk about it. Eh? And that was it. that's when it started. And, and I started thinking, well, actually, I can make a difference in these kids' lives. And 
And I was so frustrated with my community because there were so many kids like me and yet they were so quick to condemn them, so quick to judge, and nobody was actually doing any help. Nobody was really doing anything to support these kids. That angered me and frustrated me. And, you know, they were sort of waiting for these kids to really stuff up so they could lock them up. And me, my sister, and a lot of others, we'd just been labelled and forgotten. So that was the drive to really get my class started for uh, to help kids and teenagers. You know, and that, that my martial arts class became Warrior Kids. And in that, I started to really implement a lot of personal development, anger management, uh, and it became all about addressing trauma and self-control, social skills. Yeah, so, and that was all about me making a difference. The reality was I was trying to rescue myself as a kid. Mm. But in the process, I actually started making a difference in these these lives, you know. It became a place of support. And, um, and what was lovely, I, I got a real big sense of uh, prevention, and if I had known a lot of things when I was young, then that would have helped me get through a lot easier. And so that became the thing for me was, okay, I'm going to give this to young people now. Being a facilitator of anger management, one of the biggest hurdles I noticed with men was the shame, having to face up to what they had done and how bad they had allowed it to get. And I was thinking, well, this is the wrong end. I want to be the other end. I want to catch them before they get to that point. If I can stop some of these kids from getting to there, we're ending up with regrets and shame in that. If I can prevent that, then awesome. And, and I started seeing that those sort of breakthroughs were happening, and that was the wonderful thing. That, yeah, yeah. Tim, you're an angel. You really are. <laughs> you are an angel. No, no, no. And I think it's important that we share this because... Uh, the Warrior Kids program that that you've implemented it's come about because you recognised in others, and this is in others hurt, and I think that's that's special because sometimes we go about doing our thing, and we may miss these cues, we may miss the the what's unfolding, the story um, in front of us with others, and taking that time to to pivot, shall we say, your class into something more a lot more than their martial arts training, a lot more than knowing how to block or the punch or the kick. Uh, it, it's more than that. And I think that sounds like, to me, an opportunity for others, an opportunity for you to give back these things that you are learning, the things that you've learned to stop this happening, preventing, as you see, mm. not mm. not the ambulance at the bottom. And yes. I, I, can, I can imagine the, the whakamā, the shame, would be intense, with yeah, with men yeah. that have that haven't had a way to break that that, that it's, it's, if you, but if you stop it at the beginning or prevent it at the beginning yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah. I think with that and it astounds me that you've got as you said you told the story where, where you have a family hiding because the 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 dad is walking around the house with with a gun and, and the effect that that may have and I think this leads nicely into the next topic we want to bring up and talk about, if that's okay, is living with the effects of childhood trauma. And I can imagine what it was then for you, but you've you've touched on a lot of this already, and I'm just wondering if it's possible to share some of your thoughts and thinking around that. Yeah, it's... Uh, 
as, I, as I've gotten older, what I've noticed is that, you know, all through the years, it, it's it changes. The, the trauma and, and everything changes, so I have to readdress it again in, in, a, in a different way. Mm-hmm. A good example of this is my own children. So when they came into the world, man, that was traumatic for me. (laughs) Because I was so petrified of being a father and so petrified of getting it wrong. And so each process with them, each new development or uh, age growth, you know, stage, I had to reassess myself. For example, something like reading to them. I wasn't read to. Mm. And here I am reading to them. The other thing is when they read to me, my school pressured my parents that I had to read to them. That was one of the most scariest experiences of my life. Because if I got any words wrong, I got whacked. And the longer it went on, the more impatient my parents got. Now the problem was, because I was so scared... I made more mistakes. So it was, yeah. you know, it got worse and worse. And so I had to redo all of that with my own kids. And so for each step, I had to go through it. I had to process it and be aware of what was coming up with me. And and it's incredible to know that the impacts from that, from what I went through as a kid, the lasting effect has been huge. Uh, you know, when I was a young man, I would have a weapon always next to my bed. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's things like that and a lack of sleep, um, anxiety, hypervigilant. Uh, so many different ways the effects of the past were coming out. Relationship was huge. Mm. Relationship was lo- um, I went from, I, I, I went through a lot of relationships and uh, I was really messed up and and I, of course I had been sexualized as a kid through the because I had been terribly sexually abused and so I had been sexualized so I was a mess so I've come to relationship I was just a mess I was you know I didn't know what I was doing where I was coming and and I ended up all over the place and I could never believe that anyone would genuinely love me and uh, and what's interesting was Here's this woman from Beijing, China. She comes over to New Zealand and she starts working of all places in a takeaway just down the road from me. So one night I go down there to get takeaways and uh, I go in there and um, and there she is. She keeps looking at me. I keep looking at her. I think, oh, Okay. <laughs> I tried to talk to her, but the manager and uh, uh, the manager and his nephew sent me away. They're not interested. I found out later the manager wanted her for his nephew. <laughs> <laughs> he had already paid her up. <laughs> no, no, you go away. You go away. Yeah, you know, yeah. Get out of here. And she tried to talk to me, but she wasn't confident in her English. Hmm. Anyway, so I left. I thought, oh well, you know. And then about a month later, I went back and to do another order and she's just finished work and she comes out so just the two of us standing there alone and it's like oh we can talk now no one's going to stop us and she instigates a lot of the conversation and 
from there we became a couple and I made it very difficult because I did like I said I couldn't believe that anybody would love me and uh, I didn't have much faith in it but she would not give up and um, before long we had our first baby and then a second and I was a mess and all that because I was trying to make everything perfect for my children I was trying to make this perfect life you know for me it was like okay I didn't have all this stuff I didn't have you know like I said someone reading to me at night and all this I'm going to do it all you know make everything Mm. right and perfect and everything okay you know of course it doesn't work like that when you've got kids (laughs) (laughs) I got pretty stressed out Mm. pretty stressed out and my wife had her own experience and uh, for whatever reason you know she has her reasons where her confidence wasn't that high either so in the end I actually she left and I ended up being a single parent with the two kids and that lasted for over eight years wow and in all that time I, I wasn't aware of you know, here I was doing worry kids out in the community, writing my books and everything just churning along. And I wasn't aware that even though I'd done lots of psychotherapy, this was still the effects of my childhood, sabotaging my life, still playing a muck in my life, still feeding the idea that I'm evil, that I'm not okay, that if this woman really knew who I was, she would, um, you know, she would never want to have anything to do with me. What was interesting, her family for me was worse because they were so wonderful. <laughs> when we, after our first baby, uh, when he was six months, we took him to Beijing to meet the family, and that was meeting the family for me too. So we went there. Oh, they were so nice. They were just so <laughs> Anyway, before I left, go to China, I thought, well, I'm going to China, you know. I, I might need some injections, you know, because of the, the food or whatever, you know. So yep. I went and talked to the doctor, and he says, yep, okay, you're going to need this and this. And, and then the doctor said, now, uh, when it comes to the fruit and vegetables, make sure they're cooked before you eat them. Don't eat anything raw. So we land in Beijing. Off we go. We go to the the apartment. Now, Ma, which is the mum, she's with me in the in the, the dining room with Ba, the dad. And my partner, she, one of her aunties rings to talk to her, so she disappears in the house into another room and she's talking on the phone to my, this auntie. So I'm left alone at the dining table with... Ma and and Ba, the, the dad. Anyway, Ma produces this big, beautiful watermelon. <laughs> <laughs> and she shows me it. Now, I haven't got much Chinese, so I can't speak Mandarin much. So, you know, my partner has said to me to say Buyao for what you don't want. So I'm there, oh, oh, Buyao, Buyao. But the mum is there. She can't speak English. She just keeps smiling at me and showing me this watermelon because she had gone out of her way to get this really special watermelon. She places it down on a chopping board on the table. She's smiling at me. She gets a knife. She starts slicing the watermelon up all the time, smiling at me. She shows me the inside. She's like, oh, look at this. Oh, you know. Well, she's not talking. English, and then she keeps slicing it up, and she slices this big piece of watermelon. Mm. She puts it up in her hands, and she starts gesturing it to me, and I'm going booyah, booyah, 
and I start calling my partner, hey, hey. <laughs> and, 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 and the mum's going, chur, 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 which is Mandarin for eat, eat, eat. Mm. So she starts mm. handing the watermelon to me and going, chur, 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 chur. <laughs> she starts walking around the table in my direction. I'm going to my partner, hey, hey. <laughs> My partner is too busy on the phone. She's not coming. <laughs> the mum comes all the way around to me. She grabs the back of my head and force feeds me <laughs> watermelon. Oh, no. I bite it. I take it. Yeah. A little bit later, my partner re-emerges from the room. She sees me in the seat with her yeah. mother standing over me, force feeding me watermelon. Yeah. And she goes, you're not supposed to be eating that. And I said, I know. <laughs> but you weren't here. <laughs> but that loving and care mm. is what her family was like to me. Mm. Mm. And I just, I lost it. I I didn't know how to be in this. I didn't know how to be with a loving situation like this. Mm. I was I was just, uh, it's like I lost all bearing. I didn't know how to be. I, I um, yeah, I was a mess. And because of that, the family thought they had offended me, so they tried harder. <laughs> <laughs> it just compounded. <laughs> and it just got worse and worse. It got worse. And, and for uh, my partner, she thought it was about her that I didn't mm. love her and that I didn't want to be with her. The fact was, I did. But I didn't know how to be because I'd never been in a situation where I'd been given so much love and, and mm. I didn't know how to mm. handle it because this went against everything all those projections that had ever been put on me. Yeah. And uh, so after eight years and a half of being apart, I ended up back in therapy again. The way it went about was I went to a mate's place in town, and he, a cousin, and he mm. was on a, he had an apartment on a top floor. And so beautiful view and everything. And so I went, you know, he took us out in the balcony. It was all lovely, you know. Wonderful. With the whanau, lots of whanau there. It was wonderful. And all of a sudden, I started feeling this impulse to jump. And I didn't know where it was coming from. And I turned around, and here's my two my two little ones with me. But I don't want to jump. I love my kids. What's this? What's this about? And so I thought, I need help. Something's not right here. And so I ended up back in therapy, and uh, addressing things again. Mm. And it was in that that, you know, my therapist actually said to me, you know, your partner loves you, right? She hasn't moved on. She stayed close to you and kids all this time. It's been eight and a half years, but she hasn't moved on. She's just waiting. She loves you, Tim. And it was just like, wow, she does. She does. And I love her. So I just went home and uh, I started opening the door to her more and welcoming her, welcoming her in. And uh, she started staying over, and just more, and we just fell back together, just naturally. Just it was amazing, you know. She didn't trust it to begin with, which is fair enough. But and she kept expecting me to complain or say something, and I said, no, no, I'm all good. I'm really happy that you're here, and and I'm really happy, and and it just naturally fell together, and we've been together ever since. Beautiful. Oh, that is beautiful. Uh, the the power of love. Actually, that's that's something that you know all the way through this conversation that we've had, and and I really appreciate that. Yeah, you've 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 
been really raw and and honest but weaved all the way through it is just that that one sense that i get which is love it's yes. it's all about love yes. yeah so those benefits of therapy you i think you've touched on and you just started to touch on that but i really wanted to if it's okay maybe we can merge the two together if you wanted to share a little bit more about the benefits of therapy but i think this nicely ties in with keeping keep moving forward yes. um yes. Uh, why is that important why is it keep moving forward important that was that was my blessing i think really was that you know when i started to uh, as a young man turn the corners was mm. that those were all steps going forward my for example my choosing not to drink you know i did that at a young age and i had to do it you know I, mm. it doesn't bother me if other people drink i don't mind that you know a lot of whanau, a lot of my whanau and, and people i have friends i know and all that they drink that's okay with me but for me personally I knew that if I ended up going down there, man, I wasn't coming back. You know, it was going to get bad. And and, uh, and I knew the same with drugs. So that was the step of moving forward for me. Mm. Going to therapy was a step of moving forward. Doing the personal development. So I kept doing things like that. You know, I, I I kept moving forward, making my life better. I wanted to have a good life. That was really important for me. I, I didn't want... My childhood was so bad that I wanted to have a future that was completely the opposite. Yeah. And I wanted to have love. You know, it was not a, never about big money or anything like that, which is just as well. <laughs> Sadly. <laughs> Sadly. But, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> but regardless of that, I mean, I've I, I got a, a, a lovely home that's warm with love and, and a place which is... And a partner who loves me, and my two kids, you mm. know, and, and the way I was with them, always just moving, keep moving forward. I think it's such an important thing to keep doing, to keep moving for what we want and aim for. And, yeah, whenever there's problems, that they, those problems get addressed in, in a positive and constructive way. You know, having kids, of course, they there's a lot of frustration that comes up at times and different choices that they make that are interesting and um but it's about being with them in those mm. choices and hearing them and their experience and helping them through them rather than coming down hard on them or anything like that um which of course in turn allows them to be able to talk to me about anything and mm. come up for them so again yeah moving forward it's all those sorts of things for me and and, and i keep Keep moving forward. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful, Tim. Keep moving forward. Actually, that's that's a nice phrase. Keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. I mean, the alternative is to stand still and we yeah. might get run over. Right? Yes. And yeah, yeah. respectfully, that might be the catamaran. And yeah, yeah, we don't yeah. see it. <laughs> we don't see it. <laughs> that's right. Boom. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we keep moving forward. and. Tim, I'm really appreciative of your time. Um, I've just got a couple more questions, if that's okay. Yeah, and then we'll, we'll look to wrap up uh, this wonderful conversation I had um, that we're having um, with the story that you're sharing. The question I've got is if you had, um, let's see, you have the opportunity now, let's just say you have the opportunity now to share 
three things, three pieces of advice, three things that you would like to leave with the world. Let's just say you, you, you couldn't take your books with you or you, you couldn't take the Warrior Kids program or what have you, but you were able to, to leave three things because, I don't know, you're being transported somewhere else or you're doing something else or whatever it is that, that, that you would like to tell as part of that narrative. But what would be three things that you would love to share or, or to leave with the world? What would be the three things that would stand out to you? Love would be a key one. Mm. In all my work that I've done with Warrior Kids and that, the biggest tool that I have is love. Mm. You know, I, can, I have all the techniques and all these different types of therapies and all that that I can use in my classes with the children, but in the end, love is the most important. I had a boy come to my class recently. He was so scared to be there. He's been so traumatized. He walked onto the mats and we just started doing some light training. It was nothing serious. And he just burst out crying. And all I did was I went over and I I hugged him. Ever since then, he's never missed a class. Beautiful. And he he just wants to be there all the time. And it's, it's that love. Even love with my parents as well, regardless of what they've done. You know, it's, yeah, it's just love. So powerful. The next one would be that moving forward. Definitely mm. the moving forward. To not just, uh, not just, not stay in it, but to keep moving forward, to make things better for yourself and for your family. And again, it doesn't, it's not all about money. You know, we need money, of course, definitely. We want the money, yes, definitely. <laughs> But, but it's not just about, you know, it's, it's about having a nice home in the sense of a safe home, full of love and really good relationships with each other because in the end of the day, that's what really matters. Mm. You know, it's, it's our, you know the, the people we remember that have passed. It's the way they treated us that we remember. It's the love they gave us. We don't remember all the fancy things or flash things or anything like that. It's, it's the love and the affection they gave us that we remember, eh? Mm. um, yeah so yeah keep moving keep moving forward in that sense in in the sense of giving Uh, and the other one would be okay so what was it love moving forward yep and there's a third one to listen to listen I think we need to listen to our earth right now. We need to listen, just listen, you know, listen to people, but also listen to ourselves. Yeah, listen. Beautiful. That is absolutely beautiful. Beautiful. Love moving forward and listening, listening in the wider sense, the broader sense. I guess that leads me on to my final question, Tim. Epic Aotearoa, our tagline, our kaupapa, our mission our why is about creating a better future so tim creating a better future what would that look like for you creating a better future so this is uh sort of the worldwide scope here we're talking entirely up to you my friend entirely up to you all right um i think what we need is (laughs) uh, i would like to see more uh, trauma addressed we need to address trauma and we need it being addressed in schools. We have a lot of children now. They're being diagnosed with all sorts of things. 
But in the end of the day, a lot of it comes back to just straight out trauma. And there's different ranges of trauma. Uh, and that should continue on into our correction systems. So that trauma is being addressed. You know, we're so punitive with all this stuff, yet a lot of our, the people filling up our prisons have been traumatized as children and it hasn't been addressed. Also, what they found with all the latest research now, though, too, is it's also in our health system. Trauma creates, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, my mind's gone blank now. Um, inflammation. Inflammation of the body, which re uh, leads on to other health, the majority of health conditions. If we start treating trauma as well within the health field, we're going to see a reduction in all of these things. So that's what I would like to see happen. Uh, yeah. uh, that trauma gets addressed. Um, I think it would be really important for all of us. Yeah. Make every, I, all our homes, everything safer. Yeah. I can see that. I can see how it can create a safer home. I can see how it can create a, a better individual. And I can also see how addressing trauma could also create a better future. Yes. Tim, appreciate your time. Appreciate your um, the cordial. Uh, I appreciate um, the stories that have been raw and vivid in a lot of regards, but yet at the same time, immensely positive and uplifting. The theme of love has just been prevalent throughout. Aotearoa, my name is Brian Osman. I have had the privilege to sit with Tim Tepene to be able to discuss his story, to be able to share that and bring that to everyone here. Just one last thing to say. Tim, thank you. Aotearoa, thank you. We can only do one thing, which is let's go. If you enjoyed this conversation, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on social media. Be sure to hit that notification bell so that you can be kept up to date with more inspiring messages from amazing New Zealanders each and every week. If you found this discussion helpful, we invite you to share this link with your networks and tag Brian and I when you do. We would love to hear from you, so please be sure to leave us a review so that we can continually strive to provide the best service possible. As Abraham Lincoln said, the best way to predict your future is to create it. We thank you for your support, Aotearoa, and we're excited to partner with you in working together to create a better future. Let's go. Let's go.